right. That was awesome. Hold on, I want that too. All right, put this down here. How's everybody doing this morning? It's like the ninth time I've asked or something like that. All right, well, it was good to be here today. I'm glad that Pastor Reno has offered me the, the privilege, the opportunity to just preach to you guys today. And as much as I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself every time I get up in this pulpit. So I, uh, I count it a blessing. I'm not deserving of this. It's not because I'm somebody great. It's not because I'm some amazing orator or something like that. I am not. Uh, I, I, I share a testimony much like Pastor Reno that there was a, that God kind of just put out the open invitation. Hey, who, who wants to be a preacher? And preacher, uh, our pastor said, I, I'll do that. I'm, I'm willing to go. He was a volunteer uh, just uh, like myself. I, I just said, if God, if you want me to preach, I'll preach. And I've had highs and lows in my life, but uh, uh, I've always come back to God to find him a rock as a shelter in a time of storm, that he's big enough to get me through every struggle, that I met him at Calvary and he's carried me through every step of the way. And no matter what struggle or hardship I come to, that God is there. And so I'm thankful for my God. And then he's brought me to this place, uh, that I have a wonderful church, a beautiful church family to serve with. And uh, I'm thankful that you're here in your place. Uh, pray for each other right now. There's a lot of people that are out sick. Uh, there's a lot of people that are out traveling on vacations. It's coming to the tail end of summer. Uh, school's going to be uh, starting up soon, and there's a lot of uneasiness going on in the world of whether or not schools are going to be in person, and there's all the debates on the, on the coronavirus, and there's, there's just highs and lows and ups and downs and investigations going left and right, but you know what? We can come to church, and we can put all that turbulence that we find out in the world, and we can rest our hearts on God and we can find peace in our soul, and we can let him talk to us. And you know what? Sometimes we find that rest, and God will shake up the waters and say, hey, uh, maybe you're not living the way you should be, or maybe you need to get right with me, or maybe you need to grow closer, maybe you need to surrender to teach a class or something like that. Uh, you should always be willing to do that. You should be coming to church ready to listen, prepared for what God has for you. So I just want to say thank you guys for being in your place. Um, uh, we're, we're running uh, short staff today, so to say. We've got Brother Reed had, uh, had some things pop up, so he couldn't be here, so uh, uh, he came up to me and said, if, if, I, if I'm not here, are you ready to song lead, Brother Shane? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go, but thankfully, Brother Jonathan jumped up and said, hey, I can do that. I, I know how to song lead, and uh, he did a great job, didn't he? Yeah. Thankful for him. Uh, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Song leading is my least favorite thing to do. <laughs> um. I can get up and talk all day. I like the sound of my own voice when it comes to talking. Um, but when it comes to singing, it terrifies me. I'm, oh, I was, I was shaking the whole time. I don't know if anybody noticed. I'm not. I'll do it. If I, if I have the opportunity, I'll jump all over it. But no, please know, when I song lead, I am nervous as all get out. I just, mm, mm, I don't like singing in front of people. So, um, Yeah. So I want to thank you for jumping up and taking care of that. And, uh, and then uh, the propers are out, uh, out right now. They're, they're detained. And, and so uh, I, he called me up uh, earlier this week. And he said, Brother Shane, I know you're teaching on Sunday, but can you fill in in teen class too? And I said, sure, why not? But, uh, and then I thought maybe I should just delegate that responsibility to somebody else. So I want to thank Brother Treek for jumping up and teaching the teens. And uh, just know that you have a place in this church. We are a body fitly joined together. If you say, hey, I can't do that stuff on the platform. I'm not a good song leader. I'm not a good preacher. I can't stand up. I, 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 can't, I get nervous carrying an offering plate. I, 
I don't have a place. Uh, if you are a member of this church, the Bible says we're a, a body fitly joined together. There's a place for you to serve. There's a place for you to help. Uh, one instance coming up this week, this, this coming Saturday. It's coming up close. We have VBS coming up. Uh, sometimes just being a body there to just tell the kids, you go that way, and you just kind of herd them along that way. That is enough to help out in many cases, and it helps keep the teachers sane. Um, so we all leave with a full head of hair and not like half of it gone from one side of our head. So uh, if you say, hey, I, I don't know where to go, I don't know where to serve, uh, there's a spot for you. Uh, sometimes one of the best services you can do is just uh, maybe on a Sunday afternoon going through and tidying up a bathroom, okay? Sometimes it's just helping out uh, where nobody sees. Um, and so just please know that if you feel like you're left out, that you don't have a place to serve, that there is a place. And uh, if you want to talk to somebody about it, you know, you can come talk to me, preacher, uh, there's, there's a place for you. We can help you find something to do to help serve. So, all right. As I was preparing this morning, everybody, I follow Pastorino on Facebook. Does anybody else follow Pastorino? Okay, good, good. You guys are, anyhow. Um, so every, mo it seems like every Sunday morning, he puts up a post about what he's praying about, how God's talking to him and stuff. And so I was, as I had my Bible open this morning, I was reviewing my notes and I'm going through everything. I've got a fresh cup of coffee sitting in front of me and I'm drinking away. And then out of nowhere, I don't even know how she made the cup of coffee is my youngest daughter, Catherine. She comes totting up with a cup of coffee, sloshing everywhere. And uh, she can't say coffee. She says, Gabby, 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 Gabby. So she comes up, Gabby, 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 Gabby. And she brings me this cup. So now I have two cups of coffee. <laughs> and studying for my message. So if I seem a little energetic today, you can blame Catherine. Um, <laughs> It's just all that extra coffee. And then I had a cup or two on the way here and one in teen class and I don't know. Um, so, uh, but, but my daughter Catherine knows priorities in life. The other day, the other day she's, uh, my wife was sitting at home and she was doing stuff and she was sitting down and, and then uh, Catherine comes out and she's, which one was it first? Oh, she, she brings my wife her Bible. Bible, Bible, Bible. Hands her the Bible. And then she disappeared again. And then she comes out, Gabby, 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 <laughs> and brings my wife a cup of coffee and then left her alone to, to drink her coffee and read the Bible. So my, uh, at least my daughter's got it. I mean, she's just, she's got that down. Um, she's not even two yet. She's got coffee in the Bible, or Bible and the co coffee down. So you got to get those things in the right order there. So, but I want to thank you guys for being here. And uh, I'm excited for what God's laid on my heart while I was reading through uh, this morning, going through my whole outline, um, God spoke to my heart, and I kind of restructured the whole thing, kind of pushed the outline I had aside, and I rewrote the whole thing. And, and so I hope that you're, you're going to uh, just take the time to ask God to speak to your heart and do a little bit of self-examination today. Uh, let, the, let the Word of God kind of uh, look over your heart and see uh, how He can work in you and that, uh, and that you would let Him speak and I pray that this would be a blessing to you. So uh, if you have your Bibles, let's open them to 1 Samuel. We're going to start, we're going to be in the first four chapters of Samuel jumping around, but we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 8. And so to give a little bit of context, uh, the, the land of Israel is coming out of what we call the time of judges. Uh, uh, there's been many judges to, 
stand up over the land of Israel to kind of guide them in the path that's right. And then they would, that judge would pass on, and then the nation of Israel would uh, do a 180 and turn their backs from God. And so God would bring uh, problems and trials and tribulations into their lives, and they would go through all these issues. And then, and then they would cry out to God, and God would send a judge, and the judge would uh, bring Israel back to a, a good standing with God. And then they would, and then they would rebel again. The judge would die, and then they'd rebel, and then God would bring. So there's this cycle that the land of Israel has been going through, and we come to the beginning of Samuel, and all right, there's a car alarm going off there, so uh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> all right, so anyhow, uh, uh, I lost my whole train of thought. Um, they, were, they were in this time, and uh, Eli... And his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are, are keeping over the house of the Lord, over the tabernacle, and they're, they're the priests there. And we come to a point where this uh, man named Elkna and his, uh, or I, I don't know if I said that right, but his wife Hannah, she prays, asks God for a son, and that she would give him back to God when that time came. And, and God blessed her, and she gave birth to Samuel, and, and then she brought Samuel to the tabernacle, and he lived at the tabernacle, and he would later on go to be a traveling uh, preacher and judge over the land of Israel. And so there's several characters we're going to talk about, but Eli is kind of running the show at the temple, and he's mentoring uh, uh, Samuel, and he's trying to keep Hophni and Phinehas uh, under control. And we come to chapter 4, and there's a battle that's taking place. And we read in, the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 1, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle. There's that good old rivalry. The Israelites are always fighting the Philistines. If you ever hear that the Israelites are in battle in the Bible, nine times out of ten, it's probably the Philistines. All right, so they're, they're, uh, they're going up against the Philistines and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched at Aphek, and the Philistines put themselves in array against the Israelites. That's a fancy way of saying they were duking it out, they were fighting. And when, the, and when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were come into the camp, and the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring forth thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of the hosts which dwell between the cherubims. And the two sons, Eli, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted with a great shout, and they said, uh, and, the, and so that the earth rang again. That is amazing. The earth rang. Imagine somebody shouting, a, a, an army shouting so loud that the ground would tremble, and you would hear the earth as if the earth itself were singing. The earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what meaneth this noise and this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God, God 
is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us, who shall deliver us out of the land of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. The battle's been started. And their two sides are taking a break. They're, they're going over their battle strategies. The, the, they're cleaning the dead off the battlefield to clear it for the next day. The spoilers of war have come in and are picking bodies clean to sell what they can. And as the Israelites sit and think, what can we do? They think, God, why has God done this to us? Ah, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's promises to our people. Let's bring that into, a, into the camp. Let's take that out to war with us. Let's show these Philistines that, uh, that God is on our side. This is what they say. And they bring the, the Ark into the camp and they yell and they shout. And they're all excited because God is there. The earth rang out. The Philistines are Scared to death. And you notice when the Philistines talk about God came into the camp, it's the right God. They understood who God is. They understood the power that he holds. They understood that it was God who brought judgment upon the land of Egypt and brought the nation of Israel out. They understood who God was and they said, woe unto us. We're in trouble. This is a problem we've not had to face yet before. The Philistines were scared. And I understand the, the idea of being scared. One time, before I get into this, uh, let's pray and ask God's blessing over this uh, message over this time. And ask God to speak to your hearts. Our gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would continue uh, in this service to speak to our hearts, to work in our hearts. Lord, that you would mold us and shape us to the image that you would have. But Lord, moreover, I pray that you would use me, that I would say what... Uh, the message you've put on my heart, Lord, that I would speak nothing contrary to, Lord, that I would speak only what you've laid there, that I would be filled with your spirit in this time, and that I would let you have rule and reign in this time. I thank you and I praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember one time growing up, experiencing fear. We were at Northwest Trek, the zoo, and uh, we went down to the grizzly bear exhibit. How many of you have ever seen a grizzly bear up close? Anybody? If you've been to Northwest Track, you can, you can see them. There's, you go to a zoo and there's, there's the glass in the way, you know, and you, you get the feeling of the animal, but there's this, there's a barrier between you. When you go to Northwest Track, it's kind of weird. There's no glass. They, they have like a rail and then there's like a pit and then like one little thing, a hot wire on the other side. It's truly terrifying when you stop and think about it. Um, because if, if a bear were to get down in that pit and stand up on its hind legs, its feet would still come up on the railing and be looking you right in the eye. They're huge. They're massive animals. And uh, it was me. Um, it was, I was there. Uh, my mom was there. Sh my sister Shannon was there. Was Sherry there too? I can't recall. I think my sister Sherry was there. And we, we got down to the, and we were looking back. And the bear, and the, the exhibits are huge. There's just, and it was, the, this grizzly bear was in the back and I really wanted to get a good look at this thing. And it was, it was just in the back, kind of pushing things around, and I had this bright idea. I wonder if it's hungry. And then my sister Shannon starts quacking like a duck, and Sherry was making some other animal noise. And when we started, the bear goes, 
and it looks around, and then it looks at us. And it's a, it's, the enclosure is probably longer than what this auditorium is, so he'd be back further back than the wall. And in an instant, I'm telling you, it was that fast, that bear took off running, and he was at the back of the enclosure at the hot wire right there, no, no more than 10 feet away from me, and he stands up on his hind legs, and he told us what he thought about us. <laughs> and I was like, I'm ready to go. It's time to leave. I've seen enough grizzly bear for today. I'm, I'm like on my way out. My sister Shannon's there, that wah, 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 wah. still quacking like a duck. Is Shannon in here? No, no she's in the back. Um, and uh, I, was, I was ready to go. When that bear ran from the back, you could feel the ground literally shake. Just You could feel with every step it took. And then when it hit the ground and it stood right in front of me and it, it let out its roar, uh, I, 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 I was terrified. This thing could, could easily kill me and make me its dinner. And I'm standing there and I'm sitting there looking at it. The only thing between me and that bear is that little piece of hot wire right there. I was scared. I was terrified of the power and the presence of that bear. Now, imagine being the army of Philistines and they hear the roar and the cry and they could feel the ground shake as the nation of Israel cheered because God, and I'm going to put this in quotes, because God came into the camp. The Israelites put on a big show, but their faith was completely in the wrong place. Uh, the nation of Israel was making it seem as if God had come into the camp, but the truth is God was nowhere near that camp. God's hand of blessing was completely off the land of Israel at this time. So much so that Israel would suffer a terrible defeat terrible defeat. The title of my message is When God is Just a Good Luck Charm. When God is Just a Good Luck Charm. The characters I want to talk about mainly in this, this uh, message is the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. And Hophni and Phinehas were terrible, terrible people. Horrible priests. They should have never been allowed anywhere near the temple. Um, they were not and I, they were nowhere near what a Christian should be or what a, a, a citizen of the nation of Israel should be. They didn't know who God was. They were just flat-out terrible people, to be honest. Then we have their father, Eli, who was the, what we could say the high priest. Uh, he was the one that was kind of overseeing everything. And, and Eli wasn't so much a bad guy, uh, but he wasn't a, a very... He wasn't very helpful, put it that way. Uh, he wouldn't keep his sons in line. He, wouldn't, uh, train, he didn't train them very well in the way that they should go. And honestly, Eli kind of describes the average modern Christian as just like an Eli. And then we have Samuel, who's quite young, and, and the, the first four chapters span several years, but Eli is, or, or, or Samuel is quite young, and but he's getting to the point where he's becoming a, a preacher. He's, uh, God is speaking to him, and, and he's, he's then sharing God's message with the, the nation of Israel. But he's still quite young, and so 
uh, the Israel will hear him preach, but they haven't quite taken to what he's saying. And as we go through, I want you to notice the effect of losing your love and fear for who God is. When God loses that place of being God and simply becomes a good luck charm that you hide in your back pocket or that you call upon on a rainy day that you don't really think about until it's your time of need, how does that affect your life? And as we go through this, you you should find yourself relating to, you're either going to find yourself being like a Hophni and a Phineas, you're going to be more like an Eli, or are you going to be over here in the, in the lines of, I'm more of a Samuel. And I want you to just take some time and reflect on your life as we go through this. Let God uh, dig down deep and break away uh, the, the hardened heart that we may have, the, that he would break away the fallow ground, that he would search you and he would try you, and that he would show you the Christian you ought to be. And if you're, if you're where you ought to be, this, would be a, this will be a lesson of encouragement. And if you're not where you should be, uh, hopefully you're going to feel a little bit guilty. You're going to feel a little bit uh, convicted. And that's the power of God. That's not me because I'm something special. That's God talking to your heart. And I ask that you don't shut it out. But the effect of losing your love and fear for who God is when God simply becomes a good luck charm in your life the first place I want you to see is in yourself. The effect that it will have in yourself. Okay? I'm going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 22 through 25. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard that all that his sons did unto all Israel, how that they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and he said unto them, Why do ye such things? For I have heard of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if any man, if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. Hophni and Phinehas were, were terrible people. Now let me get this, let me, let me preface this. They did not start out as terrible people. They weren't born, it was just determined you're going to be a terrible person. No, it doesn't work that way. They willfully chose to do that which was contrary to God's word through their entire life to the point where God's words were meaningless and void and they didn't care about what God had to say. They had lost all respect for it. They were willfully sinful. They didn't heed the word of God and they ignored their father. They were rebellious. And if you follow the life of Samuel, he would look at King Saul one day and he would say that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, somebody who is completely contrary to the will of God and wants nothing to do with God in their life this was Hophni and Phinehas. They were selfish. They were absorbed in nobody but themselves. What they did, they did for themselves. And they made God look bad. They brought a reproach against God's people. They were just bad people. Now, I'm sure every now and then they'd do something good. I'm, I'm 
I guarantee it. Occasionally, every now and then, it was like, hey, Hophni, good, good job. Okay? Um, but the point is, is in their self, they had shut God off. They had tuned him out. He had no place in their life. And they had come to the point where it didn't matter what God would say. It didn't matter that their father would come to them and say, you're, you're being terrible. No, it's all turned out. And they would turn God's people. They would turn their hearts away from God. These were men who were supposed to help keep the nation of Israel on track in the way that they ought to go. And instead, they're doing the opposite and steering them away from God rather than calling them into the temple to get right with God, rather than calling them in to do their sacrifices, to look to the promises of God, to hold close to God. No, they would be so evil and conniving and wicked that they would cause people to come to the temple, see them, turn around and walk away and say, if that's what a man of God looks like, why should I be here? That's Hophni and Phinehas. By the way, when you lose respect for who God is, uh, you may not see it, but that's where your life goes. Time and time again, you can follow people in the Bible who lose sight of God, and they say, I'm done with that, and their life will unravel. Their life will fall apart. They go through trial, they go through struggle, and they can't seem to figure out where it all went wrong. I look at King Saul a man who had great potential in his life, a man that God did choose. It wasn't the king that, that he was waiting for to bring over them, but it was the king that God did choose because the nation of Israel asked for one. And King Saul had great potential, but at one point in his life, he decided that he was more important than God, that what God said didn't matter, and that he was going to take the reins of control in his life, and his life and his family fell apart. I think of another one that I like to think of about, and I've preached about him many times, is Demas. Demas, a man who faithfully served alongside the apostle Paul, and the last thing you hear about him in the, in the Bible is, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. We don't know exactly what happens to Demas uh, through the scriptures, but we know that Demas just gave up. Demas said, this God stuff just ain't worth it, and he turned away. And that is what, when God... You stop and you look at somebody like Demas. You stop and you look at somebody like Saul. You look at somebody like Hophni and Phinehas and you wonder, was God real in their life? And I'm sure there was a point in time when Hophni and Phinehas would go and do the priestly duties and that they would serve out of a heart of joy. But somewhere along the lines, they lost sight of who God is. They lost sight of why they're doing what they're doing. And they lost sight of the magnificence and the holiness of God. And they did it all for themselves. And they became terrible people. Because they lived their lives without God. When God becomes a good luck charm, when he's just something you keep in your back pocket, when, he's, when you lose that fear and respect and you lose sight of the love that he has given and shown towards you, you will lose sight of all of that and your life becomes meaningless and it becomes, uh, you're, you'll be filled with nothing but yourself to the point that you will drive people away. 
There's been time, times in my life where I've looked and I've contemplated whether or not serving God was, was worth it, whether or not this is where I wanted to be, whether or not God was really helping me out, whether or not God was really real. And I've talked about those times before, and I've come to the Bible, and I've come to passages like this, and I've said, I can see the destruction of a person who cuts God out. The Bible says that the, the eye that mocketh at his mother and despiseth his father or it might be those two flip, but the, the ravens of the valley shall uh, the ravens of the valley shall pluck out his eye, and the young eagles shall eat it. There's there is God can bring destruction in the life of a person who mocks at him, who mocks at the authorities that he puts in their lives uh, that you can't walk away from. You can't just give up on God and walk away and expect your life to be sunshine, roses, and lollipops. It doesn't happen that way. You may be blessed. You may not go through a lot of physical or, or, or hardships. Uh, you might be blessed with money and you have no want, but there is emptiness and there is a loss of purpose, joy, when you serve yourself and not God. When you lose sight of God in yourself, there, you'll willfully turn towards sin. You won't hearken to his word. You'll cut him out. You'll be rebellious. And you'll bring judgment in your life and in the lives of those around you. Secondly, When you cut God out, when you make him just a good luck charm, when he's not in the place that he should be, there's an effect in your service, in your holy service to God. If we flip over uh, just, just a little farther or further up in this chapter 2, we read in verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, and they knew not the Lord. And the priest's customs with the people was that uh, when, any man would, when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants came, and while the flesh was seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, and he struck it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot, uh, all that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did eat in Shiloh, all of the Israelites that came thither. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrifice, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as, they, as thy soul desire, then they would answer him, nay, but thou shalt give it me now. And if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. We can go back and we can look at how God had given special conditions and how the priests were to be taken care of and that there was food laid aside from, 
from the sacrifices and with the showbread and all that. There was, there was provision made for the priests, but they had taken these provisions and they had extended them. And they said, oh, we don't want that. We don't, we've lost respect for what God has given us. Uh, we want this. We want that. And if you don't give it to us, we'll take it because that's what I want to do. You see, their service, this is the service of Hophni and Phinehas, under the direct leadership of Eli, and they would refuse what the plans and the conditions that God had laid out for them, and they threw that all out the window, and they were running the show their own way. When you choose to serve God your way, it doesn't work. God, I'll serve you, but here are my conditions. God, I want to give you my life to you, but uh, I don't want to go to, as Cameron said the other day, talking about uh, um, team camp. I don't want to go to China. God, I just, I just don't want to go to China. And now we're all joking around. Cameron's going to be our next missionary to China. Okay, You can't lay conditions on what God wants you to do. You can't say, God, I'm willing to do anything except, you know, this. If God says, I want you to preach, he looks at Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, uh, yeah, about that, God, I can't really talk very well. So God gave him the workaround. He says, it's okay, there's Aaron. Aaron will be your spokesperson. And then Moses gets, the, uh, gets in, he finally signs on with God's plan. And how much did Aaron talk? Yeah, Aaron didn't really do much talking. Moses got there, let my people go. Okay, if you've seen the movies and whatnot, but anyhow. Um, he, he does the whole let my people go speech, and God used him. Eventually, uh, Moses laid out his conditions. He said, God, I, 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 want, I want to help, but I've got these problems. And so, sorry, hard pass. And God, God worked around it, said, no, you can do it anyways. And then he comes around, and when he finally actually just gives it all to God, he did what God wanted him to do in the first place, regardless of what he thought his conditions were. When we were at junior camp, there was message after message after message about men who said, I want to serve God, but I've got this problem. But I've got this issue. But I'm a nobody. But, and they just came to the point, if I just give my life to God, he'll use it. I may be socially awkward. I may not be the greatest speaker. I may not be uh, accepted in these circles, but I'm going to give my life to God anyways. And God used them time after time. Many of those we read about in the book of Judges when we were at junior camp. And I've sat in churches where men have stood up and they served and they did their best to hide the fact that they, have, they had lost all respect for who God was. For them, it was show. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Um, men that fell out of the service because they got into inappropriate relationships. Men who fell out because they had gambling problems. Men who stopped coming, who were actively serving because somewhere along the lines in their self, they lost their relationship with God. And then that reflected into their service. They started putting their conditions on what God could do with them. And then their service became empty and meaningless. 
You see, when you serve the Lord and you're doing out of the right heart, it energizes you. It gives you passion. It makes you excited. You stand up and you sing how great thou art and you realize my God is awesome. My God is great. And there's nothing you can say to change my mind because I am actively serving and I can feel his power. I can feel his grace in my life and I understand who God is. But somewhere, sometime, people will stop and they think, woe is me. I'm going through such a hard time and they struggle and they somehow cut God out of the picture and they lose sight of who they're serving and their service becomes empty and meaningless. They lose a passion that they once had and they start doing things because it makes them feel good or that people can see them and they can stand up and say, it's not how great thou art God, it's how great I am. And that turns people away from God. Because when that finally comes to light, when the person finally gives up, when they finally say, I've had enough and I'm done serving God, and people say, look at that guy. You followed him. You said he was a great man of God. And it brings contention. When you're not serving, when you lose sight of God and you're serving God, you get picky, you get contentious, Things have to be done your way, and you will tear apart a church. Time and time again. In the South, it's a running joke. When a church splits, the half that leave, they go down the street, and if the, if the, if the church was called Oak Baptist Church, they, the half that leaves goes down the street, and they start Greater Oak Baptist Church. One of, my one of my college administrators, I think I told this story last time, told a story about uh, two deacons splitting a church apart over a chicken wing. Church potluck. This is Brother Lester told me this one. Church potluck. Two deacons come to the last bucket of KFC fried chicken. And one deacon looks in there and notices there is but one chicken wing left. And he reaches in and, as a joke, says, it was preordained before the foundations of the world that God wanted me to have this chicken. And starts eating it. The other deacon is now offended. Well, how dare you? You're a Calvinist. And the debate started and the church split. And guess what? The half that split went down the road and started greater something or other Baptist church. I guarantee it, one, if not both of those deacons had just lost sight of who God was in their life. And they weren't serving out of a heart of, of love, out of a heart of duty and service to God because they re recognized what God did and God was great in their life. No. One, if not both, had just come and they would come to church and they would go through the motions. They would stand up and they'd sing, How great Close it up. When the pastor said the final amen, they'd close their Bible. They'd go home. They'd throw it on the shelf. Let the dust collect. And then when next Sunday came, they'd... I'm super Christian. I've been there. Every Christian struggles. Every Christian goes through those times where they don't feel like they're enough or they don't feel like they're, they're a good servant or they don't feel like 
they're doing everything that they can, and they lose sight of who God is. And oftentimes, we just struggle and we focus on ourselves when God says, don't look at you, look at me. That we're to keep our eyes on things above. God says, you're not doing it to make you happy. Why do we come to church? Why do we come and why do we sing praises? Why do we give an offering? And why do we, why do we open our hearts up to God and say, hey, talk to me till it hurts, God. Change me, mold me, make me. God, don't let me leave the same way I came in. Why do we do that if we're not doing it for God? That's why we should come to church. I work with the, the little kids on Sunday, Sunday morning. I'm not up here very much on this in, in Sunday morning. I, I come up when I can, and I help out with the offering, and I do what I can. But I, I, I tell you, there have been days, and you're in the back, and the kids get noisy, and they get combative because they're little kids. And they, and they don't, you know, please sit down. I don't want to sit down. Please sit down. I don't want to sit down. Okay. <laughs> you get that way, and you think, God, why did you put me in the junior church? I can't take this anymore. And then I stop and think about, it's not for me. I don't come here to make myself happy. I come here because God gave me an opportunity to serve young people. He gave me an opportunity to help direct them in the path that they ought to go, to how, how to be good Christians as they grow up, how to be good citizens, how to, how to live a life that is well-pleasing in the sight of God. That is good service. But I tell you what, I could get in the back and just, ah, sit down, kid. Nobody cares about you anyway. I could be that person. And if I ever become that person, I hope one of your parents talks to me and says, hey, that's not, that's not nice. You need to check yourself out. You need to check your relationship with God because uh, something's not right, Brother Shane. If I, come to, if I come to Master Club and I come in and I tell the kids, sit down and be quiet because I don't want to deal with you anymore, there's a problem. When God is just a good luck charm in our service, it suffers. We may be able to polish ourselves up and look happy and good. And, mm, I'm super Christian, I'm but we, we do ourselves a disservice by not relying on our brothers and sisters in Christ and saying, hey, I'm going through a hard time. I need a little extra prayer. Or you know what? Uh, I, I, it would just be better if I didn't help out in this because I just need to sit under the preaching and I need to focus on my relationship with God today. I, I can't, uh, uh, Pastor, I hope you understand, but this, I need to, I, I've got this, this issue I'm dealing with. And Pastor, can you take five minutes and pray with me? I know you're going up to, to, to preach, but but I'm struggling. or we, we don't want to admit that there's a problem, that there's an issue in our lives. We want to push it all off and just polish our buttons and say, I'm super Christian. We all deal with struggles. We all deal with hardships. And if we're not willing to reach out to one another and ask for help and ask for God to work in our hearts, to work in our lives, to sharpen us. If we're not willing to come down and confess those things at an altar, then we're not willing to do the service of God for God. If God speaks to your heart, you should be on your knees 
praying. You don't have to wait for an invitation. You don't have to wait for, for a special time when God talks to you. And it may not be in a church service. It may be while you're driving down the road uh, listening to a song on the radio. If you're listening to a good Christian station or something like that and there's a song that comes on and speaks to your heart, you should be willing to stop and pull over to the side of the road and say, God, I'm sorry I have this thing in my life and I need you every hour to help me get through it. That's what we should be like. Well, that's a lot, Brother Shane. Well, that's what God lays out in His Word, that we should depend on Him, that we should be in constant prayer, that we should pray without ceasing, that we should seek His face, that we should seek His, uh, his grace and His power, that we should uh, hold and cling to Him, that we should uh, forsake the world, that we should let the, the old man that we once were die and stay in the grave, and that we should live a, a new life with Christ, and that we should press on, and that we should follow the faith of those that came before, and we shouldn't besmirch that name that we have, whether it be a Baptist or a Christian, we should hold on and march forth as good Christian soldiers. But it all comes from holding that right relationship with God and not letting Him just become a trinket we hold in our back pocket for some good luck. Lastly, is the struggle. I, I started getting into this a little bit, but your struggle... You're, you, you have uh, your personal walk with God, and if that suffers, then your service to God is going to suffer. But everybody is fighting a spiritual warfare, and if you can't hold the line in yourself, then you're not going to hold the line in your spirit. And when it comes to your personal struggles and that spiritual warfare, you will fall apart. 1 Samuel chapter 4 in verse 9. Remember, we started off, the, the, the Israelites brought that Ark of the Covenant into the camp and they shouted and they leapt up for joy and they praised God. But I don't think they were praising the God of the Bible. And the Philistines were terrified and they said, woe unto us, woe unto us. Oh, it's, it's terrible. But then the Philistines start talking in verse 9. And the Philistines look at each other and they say, be strong and quit yourselves like men. Oh, ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto these Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought and Israel was smitten. And they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter. For there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, the literal promise uh, the, 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 the picture of that promise that God had made with Israel and the covenants that he had made with them was taken. And the two, sons of Eli, uh, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain, and there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat sat upon a seat by the wayside, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, and the city cried out. And then Eli heard and the noise of the crying, and he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am, he, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, 
What is done, my son? This is Eli speaking again. And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines. And there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass when he mentioned the ark of God that he fell off his seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck brake, and he died. For he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. And his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings of the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. They keep coming around to this. The ark of God is taken. The ark of God is taken. The covenant is gone. But yet they didn't stop to say, God is just not with us. We've lost the ark. We've lost the promises of God. Woe is us. Everything's terrible. When just the day prior, they were shouting with such joy and such fervor that the earth literally shook. When you lose sight of God and who he is and the power he holds in your life and what he can do, how he can help you through every problem, when he just becomes that good luck charm that you keep in your back pocket When you're going through a hard time, you pull them out and you say, oh, Lord, help me. You pull out your little pocket Bible or you pull it out on your phone. You read a couple verses and say, I've done something spiritual. God will now bless me. That's the way the nation of Israel was living. We'll bring the Ark of the Covenant out to stand with us in this struggle, in this battle. We'll have God's presence over us. Everything will be great, and we'll march on to victory, and we'll be, everything will be sunshine and rainbows and lollipops. And then God said, I, I ain't going to be a part of that. And God in heaven stood by and watched the battle unfold. And let the promises, by the way, uh, Eli already knew this was going to happen. He had been told not once but twice by God. And he never turned his life around. He never straightened his sons out. He never removed them from being priests. And he was told twice this would happen. When you lose sight of who God is in your life, when it comes to the struggle, the Bible says that the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You don't, I hear that oftentimes talked about the, 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 the devil's this lion and he's in the grass and he's stalking you. And that's not what it's saying at all. It says a roaring lion. You know where a roaring lion is at. You can hear, when a lion roars, you can hear it, they say clearly up to five miles away. You hear that, it's like thunder, they say. 
and the devil is walking around, he's not hiding many times. He does. He does work subtly, but many times he works uh, openly knowing he can get away with it. And he'll walk around as a roaring lion and he's looking for that one Christian that's, that's saying, you know what, I'm done with it. You ever watch footage of a lion chase down its prey? I remember watching this video one time. A group of hunters were out, and they see a lion doing just this, roaring, showing them, this is my territory, you need to stay away. And these, there was three or four hunters there, and they didn't heed it. They said, it's okay, as long as we keep our distance, we'll be fine. And they look away for a second, and they look back, and that lion is in full charge running at them. And no joke, there's a, just this cloud of dust coming up as it's flying across the open field at the first one it can see. And that lion flies up into the air and literally is grabbing onto the first person before they can draw their guns to shoot it. Now, the first person he grabbed survived. He was cut up pretty bad, but he had gotten his gun up just enough so that when that lion came, his gun was literally right in its chest, and he pulled the trigger, and it saved his life. But in that one second of carelessness, when they said, he's a good ways off, if we, stay, if we, if we just don't come closer, he'll leave us alone, and they looked to see what other things they could potentially go and hunt, when they turned back, that lion was on them. They knew he was there, but they put their eyes off for just a second. The devil is a roaring lion, and he wants to take you down. He wants to ruin a church. He wants to ruin a pastor. He wants to ruin a Christian, and he will take advantage of it any second he gets. And when you live a life where God is just a good luck charm, and you lose sight of who he is, the devil can be there in a second, ready to take you down. And you're not prepared for it. But how, in conclusion, how do we go the other way? How do we live a life where we're reliant on God, that we seek his face, that we're trusting in him, that we're following after him, that we have joy in our service, that we can have, a, so to say, a, a little joy in our footstep, and that we can go through church and not just, not just sing, oh, great, and, and just feel empty inside, but sing and understand, my God is great and terrible and mighty and can bring me through every trial in life, that he is truly a shelter in the time of storm. Every song we sang this morning was a great and powerful song that God is big enough to get us through every trial in our life, that God can do anything, that when God wants to do something uh, uh, impossible or miraculous, he'll start with the impossible. God can do things that we think isn't possible. God does all those things, but how do we get to that point? How do we get to mountain-moving faith? How do we get to a spot where God can use us like we never thought possible? Uh, one verse. One verse. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Turn to chapter 3. I'm going to sum up the beginning. Samuel 
We looked at Eli and Phineas. They were turned away from God. They wanted nothing to do with God. They had shut their hearts off to him. God was nothing. Eli, Eli was a guy who, who wanted to serve God. I think he wanted to do right. He was I, maybe just wearied because no matter what he did, people just turned their hearts from God and he, was, he had just grown tired of trying to do what he could. Maybe, but Eli could have done more. But then you have this little boy, Samuel. Samuel starts out as a little boy, but at one point in his life, he decided that his life was going to be for God. He made an active decision, and I guarantee many times Samuel's faith was tested. Samuel would look at struggles. He would look at things in his life and say, God, this is hard. I don't want to do it anymore. And God would say, it's not, a, it's not about you. God would say, Samuel, you can do this. Samuel, I'm here. Samuel's laying in the temple and he hears a voice, Samuel, Samuel. He jumps up, here I am, here I am, and he runs to Eli, thinking Eli's talking to him. You see at the beginning of the chapter. And Eli says, I ain't calling you, go back to bed. Wake me up in the middle of the night. And he, Samuel would go back to bed. He'd be sleeping. Samuel. Samuel, he'd run into Eli. Eli, here I am. It's me. You called me. I know you called me this time. I heard it clear as a bell. No, I didn't call you. And somewhere along the lines, Eli realizes, you know, I think think God's trying to talk to you, Samuel. And he tells Samuel, he says, instead of coming to me, I want you to say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And we go to verse 10. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 10. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, you want to know how to have God close in your life? Listen to these words. Speak, for thy servant heareth. Speak, for thy servant heareth. He stopped. He said, God... Speak to me, and I will listen. Speak, for thy servant heareth. Too many times, as Christians, we come to the word of God, and we'll read it, and we check it off a list. We don't really let God speak. This is God's word. This is how he speaks to us, and yet we read it. We're, we, we say, speak, so I can check this off my list. Speak, so I can be done at church. Speak. God, but don't really count on me to give it much attention. God's speaking. God's talking. God's always trying to get a hold of us. God's always trying to show his love and his compassion, but at the same time, he's showing us how great and terrible he is, and oftentimes we just don't listen. Speak for thy servant I'm listening. And then many times Samuel would do every time he'd go out and he'd act upon. Later on, right here, he is then, he is given the, 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 what, he is told what's going to happen to Eli. Eli's going to pass away. Hophni, Phinehas, they're going to die. Israel's going to suffer defeat. 
Samuel, do you understand what this means? And in the morning, he's terrified to tell Eli. Eli's excited like, Samuel, what did God say? This is awesome. Samuel, I'm so happy for you. And he's scared to tell him. That's his first, that is Samuel's first test. A man that he, he looks up to, a man that he, he uh, holds in high regard, Eli, and he has to tell Eli, God's going to judge you. God's going to judge your house. God's going to kill you all. Now, to Eli's credit, when it's all done, he says, well, God said it. It's good enough for me. Awesome. But later on in life, Samuel would have to look at Saul and say, a man that he considered his friend and tell King Saul, God's going to rend this kingdom from you, and he's going to judge your house. And the Bible says that would grieve Samuel's heart. But you know what? God spoke. He listened. And then even though it was something that just destroyed his heart, he did it. He spoke out even against a friend of his because his friend was not living for God. When God becomes just a good luck charm, it's not just you that suffers, but those around you, those who help, those who serve with you. But as a church, if we would stop and say, speak for thy servant heareth, and that we would listen, and then we would act, I guarantee God can work and God can use us in ways greater than we ever thought possible. Because God's great, God's mighty, and he still wants to use every single one of us, and he wants to do great and mighty things in our hearts, in our lives, and he can if we'll just let him. Let's pray.